The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by LCHF Endurance. Stabilize your blood sugar, burn fat, decrease inflammation and become fat adapted in just 12 weeks. I'm so excited to share with you that LCHF Endurance is currently 50% off for a limited time only. Simply use the code LCHFE50 to sample the program, check out the kind of meals you'll get to eat, and cancel within seven days if it's not your sugar-free jam. Head to lchfendurance.com.au and use the code LCHFE50 for 50% off your upfront program payment today. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness and optimizing your health, metabolism and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 254 of The Real Food Real, we are again joined by Kirsty Worth from Cultured Wellness to explore the question, are ketones the fourth macro? In today's episode, you will learn about ketones and how they produce energy in the body in the absence of our three macronutrients, carbohydrate, protein, and fat. We also explore exogenous ketones, their benefits in comparison to endogenous ketone production, how to incorporate and account for ketones in our existing lifestyle, and so much more. Hello, Kirsty, and welcome back to the show. Hey, Steph, thanks so much for having me. I'm loving this topic already. It's something um, I love to speak about and I'm really thrilled to have you involved in the conversation about ketones as the fourth macronutrient. So let's start there. What does this mean to you? Well, yeah, so this has been sort of this interesting thing. I've made a nerd crush on (laughs) Dom Agostino. And, you know, quite a few years ago, you know, I saw him sort of coining this phrase about the fourth macronutrients, ketones being that fourth macronutrient. And at the time, like I wasn't really using ketones. This was quite a while ago when I saw it. And it just blew my mind. How can something not be a carb and not be you know, a protein or a fat, but still produce energy within the body. So, um, you know, it's always just sparked this great sort of journey of nerding out on the information. But what it really means to me is that, you know, we have these macronutrients, which is far more your space than mine, but it's these you know, fats and carbohydrates and protein, and they provide energy and a source of fuel for the body. 
But we're now finding that there's exogenous ketones, so things that you take from outside of the body, so external to the body, that's also providing fuel for the body, but it's not a carb or a protein or a fat. And so how does that sit when we're looking at nutrients and how does, like for you, for example, a nutritionist, how do you... How do you add that into your day and make sure that there's balance with that? So do we need to now that there are ketone esters on the market and we can increase our ketones exogenously, do we actually need to now question on our, you know, on a daily basis, is it a fourth macronutrient? And then how do we incorporate that in into our lives without going, you know, completely hardcore and just relying on ketones? So um, that's what it means to me and it, it excites me. And, um, you know, I've just been on my big week-long adventure hike and, and I, as you know, last hike I did a lot of it fasted and played around with this space. And then this hike I really played around with that fourth macronutrient, those exogenous ketones and how was my energy and my recovery and how much carbs could I use and just all that sort of fun stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's really nice to keep learning and then applying in situations. Mm, yeah, definitely, especially when we're looking at that endurance side of things. But, I mean, just to even take a step back, we know that um, aside from exogenous ketone esters or ketone salts rather, that ketones are those molecules that are produced by the liver from fatty acids, usually when we're lowering our carbohydrate intake, um, it can occur during periods of low food intake, of course, like from a calorie perspective. But one of you know the concepts that our listeners will be quite familiar with is that these you know lower carbohydrate um, nutrition approaches that we're pr- supporting are great in that if they are prescribed properly, we can naturally increase our endogenous production of ketones as, I guess, part of that macronutrient conversation. Um, And then, of course, there are the exogenous sources as well. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, we've totally lost that ability or that art of that beautiful flow of sort of that survival instinct within our bodies. We don't really now. I know there are some parts of the world that this is still a, a great issue, but Um, we don't really go into that sort of famine survival mode very often. So, or that starvation mode, which actually in a lot of ways reactivates so much of the programming within our body. You know, it sparks, you know, autophagy, it helps depress inflammation, it resets our metabolism, but it's very rare now because most of us work on that prefrontal cortex, that very executive brain now that we wouldn't choose to put ourselves into those modes so we've kind of lost that art of our body being able to know how to do that and so and you know unless we want to go back there um yeah what what are we doing with this new information and these new products and how this is happening um because we have silenced that whole part of how incredible our body is Yeah, which obviously in the West comes largely from our Western food pyramid. And then, of course, there's the influence of stress as well. Mm. Um, But, I mean, first and foremost, I personally think we should definitely be looking at our nutrition first, which I know you have done for many years. But, you know, exogenous ketones are something um, 
that I've been experimented with for about, I think, three years now. Um, to clarify, I'm not using them at the moment because they haven't been tested through pregnancy and nursing. But um, mm-hmm. prior to that, I've definitely been experimenting with them and I was also always really clear to start with the foundation of nutrition and lowering our carbohydrates and moderating our protein intake, eating good amounts of quality fats before we just look for a supplement to do the work for us. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I, nutrition and lifestyle is the only way. It's, it's, it's the most cost-effective way. <laughs> the, and it is, it's sustainable. You know, once, once you have that as your foundations in your life, it is what you do on a daily basis, then it needs to start there. I do know that when we see a lot of our clients who are, you know, they've got chronic inflammation, there's some, um, you know, neuro issues, um, mitochondrial deficiencies, we're seeing more and more at Cultured Wellness. We're seeing obviously lots of autoimmune conditions. So these real and a lot of diabetes, so that classic disease state. Yes. And going low carbohydrate too quickly can then, you know, push too many metabolites that push inflammation. So, you know, this whole concept of using ketones as a therapeutic sort of medium to get people to this beautiful, sustainable diet that is just so awesome for our health, Mm. I can actually see some benefits in that um, because the gains, you know, can happen quicker but also it can um, be easier to incorporate it into your lifestyle. Of course, with the end game being that you're going to get to that point that you've got this beautiful nutrition. But, um, you know, to be able to add exogenous ketones in whilst you're lowering carbs but brings down that blood glucose, it brings down that, you know, things like C-reactive protein, that inflammatory response, all of those kinds of things. When you've got people who can't work because they're so sick, I just think, therapeutically that there is actually this beautiful way forward i completely agree i absolutely think it can be really useful especially in those disease states that you mentioned um so i guess what we need to clarify is around like that individual case you know um you mentioned dom diagostino like one of the studies he's doing at the moment is around um alzheimer's disease which i think we'll come back to but just on this point Um, they're using the supplements because, you know, these are people that have been eating one way for their whole life and it can be quite challenging to prescribe the right, you know, approach of those more traditional macronutrients to get them into that optimal state of ketosis, which we know is the, you know, the 1.5 to 3 millimoles per litre. So, of course, yeah, in in these studies, the supplements can be really um, beneficial to increase ketones in the blood. And then what I see with my athletes is, um, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, really healthy usually, um, but in someone that might need to lower their dietary intake of carbohydrates to something like 50 grams a day to achieve optimal ketosis, that's too low for someone that's doing too low in carbohydrates to clarify for someone that's doing a lot of endurance activity. Um, so as you say, the ketones can bridge that gap. So it can be, yeah, definitely in disease, but then also when you're really wanting maybe slightly higher carbohydrate intake for someone who's metabolically well and doing a lot of exercise. Yeah. 
so that's that. Um, you probably have seen it out of Oxford, Oxford Uni, that National Institute of Health, that study in 2016. They looked at elite cyclists and they added exogenous ketones and, you know, the stable amount of carbs for, um, you know, ultimate performance. And they found that they went sort of for the cyclists could go 400 meters faster than what they were producing beforehand. So they could keep those carbs consistent, but have those extra ketones coming through for that extra energy. So when you're at that sort of elite or that, you know, athlete sort of level, it's pretty exciting. But what I see is really exciting in in that is obviously over-exercising and all the stuff you and I bang on about will cause inflammation. Mm. Like it will totally ramp up that, you know, NLR, P3 pathway, all those inflammatory pathways. But ketones drop that. Now, there's not enough research. We don't understand any of this really um, as much as we want to, but it's really interesting to have a look at. So endurance athletes, if they can keep, um, if they use ketones over time and longevity um, and sort of the ageing sort of through doing some of those activities, do the ketones lower that blood glucose lower that inflammatory stress response and so the recovery is better and it enables the athlete or, um, you know, everyone's an athlete to some experience, like you say, mm. does it enable someone to recover better, inflammation's dropped and then they can, you know, get what they might want out of their performance. Yeah, and look, there's a lot of things that I don't like about the Game Changers <laughs> documentary, but I could oh. <laughs> can of worms, but I could not get over the section on... Scott Jurek, who obviously everyone knows is a really, you know, well-known, very successful endurance athlete, but the only conversation was about glucose. And I was just like, somebody send this man to Jeff Volek or Stephen Finney or somebody that can help him appreciate that he needs ketones if he's going to be running across the world. And it was just a really archaic section as a lot of the documentary was, unfortunately, in that you know, science is so different now. Of course, we once relied on carbohydrates, just like that very archaic statement about the brain needing glucose and glucose being the only fuel for the brain, which which is false because ketones are really, really important there as well. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, it's really, really important to add into this conversation about the externalities that we face on a daily basis that depletes, um, once again, going back to that mitochondria Mm -hmm. and most people having mitochondrial deficiency, if we actually want to live in this environment, we we do need to ramp up the game and change it a little bit if we want to be sustainable and have that that longevity. So I'm not talking about, you know, getting chips implanted in people or, you know, whatever. But if we're going to be on screens all day, we're going to have a lack of natural light if if our circadian rhythms are going to be so out of whack or we're born like my kids were with, you know, heavy metal toxicity, viruses, all of those sorts of things, and you're prone to mitochondrial deficiency, then, you know, we've really, really got to look at how we're supporting people on a daily basis. And like you said, we've got to move past this whole archaic way of looking at things because that may have worked a hundred years ago, but there's just this huge onslaught of what we're exposed to. And, 
we want to be able to survive through that as opposed to more chronic illness and chronic disease. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the cognitive function actually, because, you know, what we've heard a lot around, especially brain health is that the brain is so dependent on glucose. And I really want to break this down because yes, the brain needs some glucose, but what we're seeing is that perpetual glucose across the sort of blood brain barrier creates huge issues. Like just even immediately for say, you know, your clients or my clients, that's where we're seeing huge issues with energy and focus and, you know, mental clarity and cognitive function. And of course, when you're using um, your body's inbuilt ketone mechanism or or taking, drinking exogenous ketones, then you're giving your brain this alternative fuel that's naturally anti-inflammatory and longevity promoting. And I think that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, for people that are going through that beautiful process of, you know, really looking at healing their bodies and getting rid of, say, once again, if we look at the gut, like, you know, breaking down and getting rid of viruses and, any type of inflammation that's going on in the gut, once again, we know those metabolites cross through to that blood-brain barrier and they have such a significant impact on every neural pathway. They attach to neurons, they attach to receptors like dopamine receptors. And so once again, even a byproduct of carbohydrates and what it's doing in the gut and then its impact in the brain alone is causing these big problems and so we can depress that and we can change that by yeah utilizing once again the body's natural ketones but even exogenous ketones it's just that inflammation is so marked but even like in diabetes studies I know that um once again Dom Diagostino has been doing a lot of research in diabetes and metformin and they see ketones more effective than metformin Mm -hmm. and I know that if um, I was diabetic or my children or anyone in my family I would prefer them to be having coconut oil or utilizing the body's incredible ability of making ketones rather than being on a prescribed pharmaceutical drug. Well I agree and I think you don't even need to be a scientist or a, or a health geek to really appreciate that maybe we shouldn't start with a pharmaceutical, but unfortunately that's what we've always known. So it is that, um, you know, first point of call, but yeah, to really unpack, especially if we just separate diabetes for a moment because their mechanisms are different, but we know that type two um, can be completely reversed or put into remission. Right. Mm. And yeah. um, a lot of that for many people is um, changing firstly what they eat because it's the insulin resistance that's causing the issue, um, which of course then is that cascade to these, you know, long-term side effects and essentially a disease that just gets worse and worse and um, is not a very good good way to go. And um, Type one's obviously quite different, but where they're common is in their blood sugar control goals. And mm. so ketones, coconut oil, medium chain, triglycerides, like these are all what we're really looking to keep our blood sugar stable. So then we can decrease our reliance on medication, especially when someone's already been um, treated that way. 
Mm, yeah. So if we're using a you know an extra macronutrient that provides energy but has all these side effects while someone's transitioning through to getting that remission for type two, why are we not doing it more, Steph? <laughs> Just I have to put it out there. It should just be a go-to on our plans, which I know for you and I, we, it's such a thing that we shout out. But, um, you know, more study needs to be done on this. I know that um, I just listened to an interview with um, Dom Agostino and he was saying that now there's more, because they've done a lot of um, mice and rat studies yes. in this area, many areas, and that's wonderful but it still doesn't transition over to, okay, how's this going to really go in humans? But now that we've got some of these exogenous ketones on the markets and we've got like pure esters happening, um, you know, he was sort of proposing that this is a great opportunity where we can actually just study humans at play here because people are, you know, obviously choosing to have these exogenous ketones. They're part of their diet. So ethically, you know, and I'm putting... um, you know, making sure we get the studies out there, things have just changed so significantly. So it's, I can't wait to yeah. see how that all unfolds. Yeah, so I agree. And I think to answer your question, why? Well, firstly, big pharma, <laughs> full stop. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. Secondly, yeah, where the research is up to. So unfortunately, yeah, it has been in um, animal models up until now. And there's some big players like Obviously, it's Dom Diagostino and his whole team. Um, Stephen Kinane in Canada is doing a lot more specifically around ketones with Alzheimer's disease. And, yeah, I just think we're going to see a lot more funding because once you know that type 2 is reversible, that Alzheimer's is insulin resistance of the brain, which can definitely be, we're not sure, prevented but slowed down, like Mm. the funding's going to go there because these are major players in our decreased quality of life and lifespan in the West and we're really now able to redirect the funding towards like curing them or at least being able to reverse them so that mm-hmm. we're not unfortunately, yeah, just dying from the side effects or a really poor quality of life. Yeah. And I think I think we need to call for preventative measures as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, just before we jumped on, we were talking about babies' first foods. <laughs> and so, you know, like my kids, because I did not know any better, mm-hmm. um, you know, they started on Farex, for goodness sake. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, like how to jack up some insulin in your child. But that's what my mum told me to do because that's what she was told to do. Yeah, it's not her fault. Yeah, Yeah. and and that's fine, but we know so much more. So we need need education right from the get-go. You know, preconception, conception. We need, you know, in these beautiful maternity wards, we need information, first foods, this whole understanding so we don't get this um from first foods like this our body's going into this kind of overdrive of this constant spike of blood glucose and this insulin response that then our bodies are set at that point for you know 10 years 20 years 30 years depending on when it's finally recognized and reversed so i you know we need to start redirecting money even in schools, you know, we, we really need to start understanding this further. 
Yeah, I think that's where it's at. And I guess where we're lucky with that ketosis conversation is, yes, it gets confused and demonized by those that don't quite respectfully understand it. But we know that it's really successful in treating childhood epilepsy that doesn't respond to medications. Mm -hmm. There's a really clear, strong science around its clinical value. And so where that has allowed us to go is... I guess, you know, use that research to then continue understanding ketosis and its clinical application. So, you know, I've got a client who's quite heavily involved in some research around Angleman syndrome, which is a genetic condition, and it has a similarity to epilepsy in that there are seizures. So Dom Diagostino is involved in this piece as well. They're now looking at Yes, ketosis, but definitely exogenous ketones because these are kids who eat a lot of carbohydrates, usually depending on the environment they're brought up in, but they've got um, symptoms that are similar to Prada-Willies, which is that insatiable appetite, very little appetite regulation in the brain. So these children find it really hard not to eat all the time. So getting them into ketosis with diet alone is definitely more challenging. Um, and then, mm-hmm. of course, exogenous ketones can really help there as well. So there's just so much more awareness that's stemmed from this initial clinical application. And, you know, now we're seeing, yes, Alzheimer's and metabolic cancers. Well, maybe all cancers, but time yeah. will tell. Yeah, yeah. And for me, obviously, I'm always interested in the impacts in the autism space mm-hmm. and we use exogenous ketones for Noah on a daily basis, um, and you know it's it's you see the extra energy, you see the brain being able to, you know, make sense of the world and to start learning and have all of those neural um, pathways firing, wow. and um, it is it's just it's been a huge <laughs> here's this word game changer, but it really has oh, been for don't use that word for him. <laughs> You know, Steph, I haven't seen it yet because I'm too scared to, because I don't know how I'm going to respond, but everyone's been telling me about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Blood's still boiling and you saw it two, three, four weeks ago or something. It's because it's it's in my face every day at the moment and I've been having some debates on Instagram and my articles coming out um, real time. So, yeah, it's... um, it's very, very prominent in my world at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, it would be. It would be. And, it, it, you know, it's a great opportunity for you to lay down the research and the understanding. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think... That's, I think yeah, he, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's made such a huge difference, such a huge difference for him. And also, um, you know, for a child that has had such significant health issues, just little things like being able to keep him in ketosis but go to a party and Mm. have, you know, some extra carrots that day or something. Because obviously, um, you know, when you are sticking to a ketogenic diet to utilise those ketones, um, you know, there is parameters that you need to stay in. And for a child on a daily basis, every day of your life, that's quite difficult. So to add in some ketones and then support um, him to make the right choices at the party, of course, it, you know, it's, it's a really beautiful moment for, for Noah and for him to be able to be a little bit more part of the scene as opposed to, you know, I eat this um, ketogenic diet for my brain and for my recovery, but, um, you know, he sometimes can't participate in all the foods that are out there 
even when they're beneficial whole foods. So, yeah, yeah, it's made a huge difference, a huge difference. I think kids and adults alike, you know, not that I eat refined sugar, but there are some carbohydrates that I really enjoy. And um, if we can sort of find that sweet swap between obviously the nutrition being the, the foundation of the house and really ensuring quality and that you eat carbohydrates relative to your genetics and, you know, goals and exercise intensity. But then, of course, mm. that, that you can sort of not live a little, but you know what I'm saying? Like just, I guess, yeah. come out of the extremes to a degree and, and use these supplements that can be really beneficial. I think that, you know, why not? Especially when the research is, is looking so strong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, I, speaking from my own experience of many sporting injuries and surgeries and, um, you know, having a time where I did eat lots of, carbohydrates and that whole you know carb loading space and all those kinds of things and then having um you know my autoimmune condition I function so much better when I'm in ketosis and so the power and the oh the absolute incredible joy of knowing that I can flick a switch and turn off that inflammation in my body so I can still continue to enjoy the things that I love to do is just so wonderful. So, you know, I, like I was saying before, I've just been on, you know, this big hike and if I didn't utilise my own body's ketones, which I make and then exogenous ketones, like I wouldn't be able to go on these hikes. My knees would blow up and I'd just have so much inflammation from just old injuries really. But it just doesn't happen. I don't have any of those issues. And, you know, what a freeing, empowering joy. And, uh, and I really, I suppose one of the great things about having this discussion is it's so nice if, if other people can also experience that too instead of giving up going, oh, my knee gets swollen every time I go out and, you know, play sport or my favourite thing that I love to do. If only people knew, you could ramp up your ketones, drop that inflammation and still enjoy those things that make you feel alive, um, I, I just think we, we need to let more people understand that. Mm. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, did you want to add anything else in relation to the gut, like what else you've done or even just some small specifics as to what you've been trialling so far? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So this year at the ACNAM conference, which is the Australian College of Environmental medicine um, went along and what a wonderful conference that was full of incredible um, you know doctors and pediatricians and specialists and it's just such a wonderful space to learn in functional and integrative medicine and there was a lot of discussion about ketones so Cliff Harvey was there and a lot of um, discussion about understanding what is the appropriate carbohydrate model and all those kinds of things. And what I found very, very interesting was um, during the panel time, uh, you know, they obviously had all of the speakers up on the panel and during the panel time, one of the questions was, well, what is the impact of the ketogenic diet on the gut microbiome? Because, of course, and this is what gets up my goat, is that there's this other oh, ketogenic diet will damage your gut microbiome and you can't have a beautiful, diverse gut if you're on a ketogenic diet. So um, 
I have been doing some research with Microba, which is um, we've talked about before. So mm-hmm. if anyone wants to learn about that, go to episode stuff. <laughs> I can't remember, but um, we had such a great chat about Microba, and but yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll put it in the in the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a great conversation around what um, Microba does, and they obviously test stool, but it's this metagenomic testing, looking at testing not only what's going on with our different types of gut bacteria, but what are the metabolites they're producing? What are they actually doing in there for us? So um, I'm engaged in some research with Microba and it's funded by DFAT looking at um, the Solomon Islands community and we've done some pre-testing around their gut microbiome. And we've applied uh, the culture wellness cultures and added it into their diet and upped, um, obviously, their uh, coconut, which increases their ketones. And then we've done a whole heap of post-testing and we're starting to analyse that data. So um, Dr. Christabel Yeo, who is the um, the president of ACNAM, then called me out at that said, oh, Kirstie, so what's your opinion on this? So I was sitting next to Cliff Harvey, which, you know, don't you want him to answer it? So it was a bit of a shock for me. But I said, look, first and foremost, we need to define what is an appropriate ketogenic diet. And so I think that with this whole conversation of the ketogenic diet is dangerous for our gut health, we need to take a step back and look at what is an appropriate ketogenic diet because when we look at that, there is no way that it is damaging. And in fact, the metabolites that ketones help us make are actually beneficial for the environment, for our gut microbiome. So, yeah, this whole conversation needs to be changed. If you're just having a carnivore diet or just eating cheese and bacon and those sorts of things, yes, the diversity is going to drop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which isn't ketosis. Like, come on. Yeah, (sighs) yeah. But if you're utilising, you know, all of the incredible whole foods that we know that we can eat on a ketogenic diet and you're using things like intermittent fasting to boost your ketones or using exogenous ketones and you're utilising, you know, fermented foods, so you're getting the benefit of the fibre, the nutrients, but not the sugars, there is no way that that your gut microbiome can be altered by the ketogenic diet. In fact, in my opinion, the diversity grows significantly. And we see that on our program. We have people that have their pre-testing and then, you know, they go through beautiful whole foods, ketogenic diet, and then we do the post-testing and the diversity increases significantly. Yeah, 100%, because like a lot of the fibrous vegetables are very low in starch. So I I totally agree with you. We don't have to, like it's so old school to think that ketosis is Adkins or just meat and cheese. Like yeah. why are we so narrow-minded? I think that we need to yeah. open, like, open our mind up to look at the research or understand exactly what ketosis is because it's going to look different for everyone because it's all relative to carbohydrate tolerance or intolerance, right? And yeah. so what gets you into ketosis will look different probably for me at the moment and, and for Noah again. So we have yeah. to keep our perspective. I just think we're so insular when it comes to nutrition and it really is not. It's like yeah. the, last, it's the opposite of insular. It needs to be very broad and individual 
um, but not insular in that we're looking at like just one food or just one concept alone. Yeah. And I think a wonderful take-home message for this is that, it, you know, our understanding of our bodies is not static. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you're in the most incredible time of your life where it, at nothing is static for you. You know, your body, everything's <laughs> changing, breastfeeding and pregnancy mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when I first uh, changed my diet, and sort of um, started to understand the impact that carbohydrates had on me, a zucchini had too many carbs for me. I was that intolerant to carbohydrates, a zucchini for goodness sakes. Whereas now, you know, that's just not an issue at all. So if I was still static in that understanding of, oh, I can't eat a zucchini, um, that would really impact not only my health, my gut microbiome, but my social attendance to out, like everything. Life, yeah. Yeah. And that and would impact your gut microbiome too. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And just my mental state, like I'm not getting anywhere. And it's like, mm-hmm. but as we grow, as we learn, as we spend more time in these beautiful states of healing, we need to also grow with what our body needs and, um, and move through that and obviously that's where you know getting expert nutrition advice is the bee's knees but um i see i see it too often i can only eat three foods and i've only been eating three foods for the last two years and then have you in, introduced anything else how do you know no i'm too scared to yeah i mean I, so, i'm sure you understand where they come from it's tough but yes yeah yeah it's really tough so yeah i think it's just moving with the research, moving with your body, moving with how you're healing and maybe not being frightened of these things and utilising them. So, you know, if you are the a zucchini is too much for me, try some exogenous ketones. How does that support your body to have a few more um, extra vegetables that's going to improve your gut microbiome, improve your energy levels and get you to that next level? So. Um, yeah, be be curious mm. about what your body needs and don't be shy with obviously supervision to really embrace these things and give them a try with um, with joy because obviously as we know that's such a big part of, of our body's healing is to not be frightened of it. Yeah, and the longer I consult, the more I actually spend a lot more time discussing this sort of evolutionary concept. And and I'm not talking about looking at the um, hunter and gatherers. I mean in that what you eat now is going to look really different in the future because if you've got, like you said, a really, um, you know, dysbiosis which is causing you to react to really simple foods or if you've got really poor blood sugar control or insulin resistance, then your food looks like what it needs to look like initially for that sort of part of the treatment phase. And then as you either A, heal your gut or B, fix your blood sugar issues or C, reverse your insulin resistance, your diet looks different again. You can tolerate more foods, often slightly more carbohydrates and so on. And I often think about that in clients who blanket say to me, I hate liver or I hate sliced tomato or I hate broccoli, whatever it might be, that's just now because of the food that you've eaten, the bacteria that dominate your gut, what controls your cravings. 
make sure that as your taste buds change, as you heal your gut, as you evolve your taste buds, that you try that food again because it's going to taste so different in the future when your taste buds aren't blunted by refined foods and processed sugar. Yeah, yeah. And all sorts of different bacterial um, overgrowth, altered bacteria. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love it so much when we go to events and we have our yogurt there and people taste it. And oh I my god! It. <laughs> it's just like ah, there's no way I could ever eat this. What even is this stuff? And then you know, I'm like, okay, so I know that you need that if you're having that mm-hmm. bigger response. And you know, it's like I guarantee in six months' time. You just you just can't get enough of it, and and sure enough, absolutely. Once all those different parts of the body balance out, that you just love it. So you yeah. you can't say never. You really can't. And I know we've discussed it before, but what about those emails that you get when somebody has had a little bit of cultural wellness and they blame <laughs> you for their food poisoning because they've had <laughs> you know essentially quite a big reaction because of the state of their gut in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always, yes, we get them absolutely. And it's like, oh, this is a great learning lesson of what needs to happen from here, mm. which is a really frustrating response for someone who um, just wants to blame. Know, yeah. Just wants to blame. But once again, if we have this curious mindset at all times, then wow, if something that my friend ate has had nothing to, you know, no impact on her, and I'm having this extreme response what's going on in my body because that shouldn't be the case to have such a big response to beautiful, you know, nourishing, healing foods. Yeah, for sure. So, Steph, I have a question for you. Okay, up on the spot. Go. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you love that. <laughs> okay. So, <wait>. sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so if we've got this fourth macronutrient, mm-hmm. and you may not be able to um, answer this, I don't actually know, but uh, so, you know, when we look at this, um, obviously situation changes. Like for me, when I was doing the half marathon, carbs and proteins and fats were different compared to when I've got a full week of just sitting down writing a book or something. So obviously it changes depending on what you're doing in your output. Mm-hmm. If we've got this fourth macronutrient, how do you add that in when we look at percentages and when we look at the fuel for the body? Have you ever written in for someone um, using that extra macronutrient? How are you doing it at the moment? And do you see there being changes in how plans are written to incorporate that? Yeah, good question. So like to date, I haven't changed someone's 100% split. So I haven't said to them, okay, X percentage from carbs, X from protein, X from fat, and X, X from ketones. I haven't sort of done it to that level to answer the first yeah. part of the question. So I'm still looking at the three-way split between carbs, proteins, and fats. But, I mean, one, if you're taking exogenous ketones, you still want to make sure that you're factoring in the calories, not that we calorie count, but we still need to keep that in mind depending on what you're using and, um, you know, whether it's pure coconut oil or whether it's like I love the Melrose Health MCT powders that have just been released that can be really great between meals. Um, Mm -hmm. So just looking at sort of calories per se. And then it's going to be really individual. You know, I always say that your first barometer is blood sugar control. So you'll know Mm -hmm. how much, like how many sort of ketones or how much you'll need to add into that fourth macronutrient based on blood sugar control, how long your meal to meal window is, 
and then your overnight fast, like how well you can do that and then step into more sort of responsive intermittent fasts and the evolution of that over time. Um, and then some people like to test. So I have a lot of usually male athletes that are quite data driven and they like to take X like an exogenous ketone and then measure their blood ketones and see where they sit in comparison to say a quote unquote normal day where they weren't supplementing or a higher carbohydrate day or a training day. So I guess at this stage, you know, where we're looking is there are so many variables and it's going to depend on the day, but also the individual. Does that Mm. kind of answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Do you see a future that it may be included as, um, and I suppose it would start with, um, you know, either sort of elite athletes, endurance athletes starting at that level where we might get enough data to say, okay, on this kind of training, on this kind of day, this is the kind of exogenous ketones you need to add in and doing the split four ways instead of three. Do you see that as the future or do you think it will be just popped into that fat component? Um, yeah, I don't know, actually. Like, I haven't given it enough thought. I'm definitely willing to play around with this, though, because obviously the fat calories can easily be worked out as a percentage, like, you know, just to keep it really um, top level. If it's someone's that someone is having, you know, say 200 calories from exogenous ketones on a 2,000-calorie day, um, mm. we can easily work out, you know, that might be 10%, right? Um, and then we would look at of the remaining 90%, what needs to split between carbs, proteins, and fats. I'm open to that. I'm going to have a little bit more of a think around whether that would work, but then I guess each day would have to be different if you weren't taking exogenous ketones every day. Whereas, you know, my sort of macronutrient split is more fixed and then training will be added on top of that to change the number of grams per day rather than the percentage. So if we just break this down for a second, say my male athlete is on pretty much always on 15% carb, 20% protein and 65% fat. On a rest day, that might be, you know, 75 grams of carbs. But when he adds training, that might be 95 grams of carbs. It's still 15% of his daily intake, but it's slightly more carbohydrate in food. So if you were adding in exogenous ketones every day, that would be okay. But if you weren't, your macro split would obviously then change daily. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. thought, but yeah, you got me thinking. So I I can definitely look at that. Um, I can be test bunny, mm. (laughs) as always. I love being test bunny. Yeah. I love it. I can't write this down. No, <laughs> I have to sign up for another endurance race. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Do you, um, are you in the position to talk brands at all or is that for another conversation, do you think? Uh, no, I can I can talk about what I've tried. I don't sort of have any alliances with any brands. No, no, that's cool. Yeah. Because yeah. I just wanted to add that, yeah, for those that haven't seen the Melrose Health MCT powders, like we've obviously been using their MCT oil for decades, um, yeah. but a lot of people find that either too harsh on their gut or impractical for travel or a little bit sort of, I guess, less user-friendly, whereas the MCT powders are much better on the digestive system. So like full serves or more can be consumed. They're great for travel and you can also have them like, 
in between meals without without having to make up like your MCT coffee or your or your bulletproof. So I'm loving those at the moment. Um, yeah. Interesting you to say that because um, I just tried it on this hike. Oh, did you? Um, yeah, because obviously there, I I've always used more MCT oil. So same thing, like we sell the um, Melrose yeah. one. So I, I play around. I use mainly the C8 one. It's the blue bottle. Gosh, which one? That's Go Faster, is it? No, I think I think you use Go for Longer, don't you? Go for Longer. The blue. The blue. Yeah. Now that's obviously um, my brain needs significant amount of help. Yeah. So, but I've used all of them and just love them. But when you're carrying six days worth of food on your back, and I, you know, use probably thirty meals a day of um, the MCT oil. That's actually quite heavy in your pack. Right. Yeah, good point. So I, Practically. Yeah. So, yeah, I use these little, now everyone likes to know, I use Nalgene bottles because they're <laughs> completely leak-proof and they're mm. awesome for transporting it. But, yeah, I was like, okay, what's going on with these powders? Are they lighter? Are they easier for me to use when I'm hiking or I'm camping or I'm travelling or all those sorts of things? So um, this time... I came up with this ingenious plan. I tried, I made myself basically a bliss bowl, but all I needed to do was add water when I was out there. So Get out. I put, <laughs> yeah, so I put like the scooped MCT powder, mm-hmm. linseed, psyllium, um, some cacao. I put a little bit of stevia in there. I put some ginger for my circulation some lion's mane, some pushy woo, like I just put uh, collagen, of course, Mm -hmm. and um, put them in these little bags. And so then, and for each day, because obviously you've got to plan all these things out. And then um, all I needed to do was add the appropriate amount of water and it rolled up into this awesome little... You're a genius. That's so cool. Mm. But it's like perfect because there's your fibre done and dusted for the day. And um, getting that extra nutrition in, and and I really love the benefits of cacao. So, yeah, yeah, but those powders, this was the first time I've used them. So I'm about to go on a climbing trip this weekend. So I'll do do it again. I will absolutely use them. They're very easy to use. So, And um, just one thing, I'm jumping in, but just to also add, I was just thinking that, you know, when I was really quite... um, say when I was using more of the MCT coffees, um, Mm. my meal frequency was down. So calorie wise, it would work for me to have say a second one to extend like a mini fast, say in the afternoon. But Mm -hmm. if you're adding in MCT coffees on top of more meals, like I'm eating now nursing, it's too many calories. So an MCT coffee would have 200 or 300 calories depending on how you make it. Whereas one serve, so a 10 gram scoop of the Melrose powder is something like 70 calories. So practically wise, it obviously looks really different, but you might be able to find there's less of a limitation in how it's used, just mix up, mixed up on its own versus mm, MCT yeah. coffee. Yeah. I've also played around with it um, to add it into baking and biscuits. Yes, and... we've made cookies too. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I made these, made the kids some beautiful biscuits the other day and um, Noah mainly gets his um, ketones in via, it, we call it his hottie, which is basically 
um, kind of like a bulletproof coffee, but obviously he doesn't have the coffee. It's just water. Oh, that's so cute. It's like we call it a a bulletproof cacao. It's like a healthy chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, so Noah has his hottie and that's how he gets it in. But at, like today it's 80% humidity and, you know, 30-something degrees and no child wants to have a hottie when it's Very like true. that. So, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm playing around with, with these powders for breakfast and school snacks. So um, I make him like that fibre bliss ball and adding that in so it helps him through the day and helps manage, um, you know, just making sure he's satiated and, and his brain has got that constant level of energy. So, um, yeah, funny you should say that because I, I have been playing around with it of just other it. ways that I know that I can get those um, beautiful ketones into the kids. Yes, absolutely. But also just to clarify that, you know, which right now we're talking about an MCT powder, which is like a keto supplement, but different yeah. to the exogenous ketones. Like it's still going to promote ketosis, but different again to like a ketone ester or a ketone salt, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and those exogenous ketones, they will spike at, as in they will push your um, millimole level of ketones quite high, quite quickly, mm-hmm. whereas the powders, are, um, it's a nice gentle increase. It's very That's very different. true. Yeah. yeah. Very, very different. Mm. Very careful with those. Probably the last thing to say mm-hmm. is, yes, be curious. Absolutely try all the things that, um, and on, obviously under supervision, but the most important thing to understand is when you're using these substances, if you do have, um, you know, if there's a lot of toxicity in your body, if you've got heavy metals in your body, if you're, you know, dealing with toxicity, the aim of being in this beautiful state of ketosis is that it will um, help you to reduce that inflammation and get rid of or to help your body process those things. So you cannot feel great. And this is sort of the keto flu, but not really. You just, um, you've got to assist your body that when it's actually working at that beautiful metabolic state and it's really doing its job because it's finally got the resources that it needs Make sure you give it that love and that support of mopping up those toxins and enabling your body to have the resources, whether it be chlorella or charcoal or some bentonite clay. Um, You know, obviously just having a nice Epsom salt bath, jumping on a rebounder, going out for a swim in the ocean, all those sorts of things that will help mop up that toxicity because I see it time and time again. Oh, I tried ketosis. It made me really sick. And I put on heaps of weight or it screwed up my hormones or this or that or this or that. And really what was happening is your body finally had the resources it needed to start the cleanup and do that big spring clean. But unless you've got the big garbage bags and the mini skip and uh-huh. the right cleaning tools to, to do that big spring clean, you'll just be covered in all the dust and all of the, <laughs> the crap from the clean, if you know what I'm saying. So, so true. Yeah, help help your body, support it because it makes me upset when, oh, I tried that, didn't work, felt terrible. But also Why do it again? meat and cheese. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. very well prescribed. So like you said, um, you know, having some support can make all the difference. Hey, yeah. um, before I forget, it was RFR248 where I interviewed oh. um, Dr. Pribble from Microba 
And then you and I spoke um, earlier than that, which was RFR 237, mapping your your gut microbiome rather. Beautiful. So I'll pop those episodes in the show notes for those that want to check them out. Yeah. Awesome. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Hopefully we'll get a whole series of questions so we can do a Q and A and I get to explore it again with you selfishly. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. It's been so lovely. I love unpacking all this stuff. So thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.